So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Be our teacher tonight. We're desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. I'm not going to go through a lot of to back up this, uh, tonight, just a little bit, but the first 10 chapters we looked at the sacrifices in Leviticus. Then chapters 11 through 15 we looked at the laws of purification. Then we got to chapters 16 and 17 the last two weeks, and we looked at the atonement. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness for sin. And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That's why we can't be good enough on our own. And it also says that the, the blood of, of bulls and goats is not sufficient. And that's why Jesus had to go. So the blood of the bulls and the goats was pointing towards Jesus Christ. Now remember on the Day of Atonement, it's got another name. The Jews call it what? Yom Kippur. And today it is still the most holy of all Jewish days. And I think this is reverbing on me here. And it's, an, it's important to note that on Yom Kippur, that that's the only day that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't just go in on any day, and they couldn't just go in in any place, and it couldn't just be offered by anyone. And remember, we looked at Nadab and Abihu, and how they were the sons of Aaron, and they went in, and what happened to them? Who remembers? They got smoked. And why did they get smoked? Because they offered profane fire. They didn't come into the Holy of Holies on the right day. Neither one of them was the high priest, and so they offered profane fire, and God struck them down. The reason for that is, is that the Day of Atonement, as we know, is a picture of Christ. It had to be the high priest, because Jesus is the great high priest. He had to bring the blood of the sacrifice, because it was going to be Jesus shed blood on the cross that would pay for our sins. The high priest, first, remember, he would remove his royal robes. Remember that? And he would take off his royal robes, a picture of the fact that Christ left heaven and came to earth. The high priest on the Day of Atonement was clothed in what? Linen. And remember when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in what? Linen. And when he was put into the tomb, he was wrapped in linen. And it's a picture, again, of his, his birth and his death, all of it pointing to the fact that he is the great high priest who atones for our sins on the cross. The blood was then taken in, and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and then it was sprinkled seven times. Seven being the number of perfection or completeness. Again, that it is finished. Then last week, we just looked at the blood itself, the sanctity of the blood. And any blood that was shed by the children of Israel had to be shed in one place. Where was it? Who remembers? Who remembers? It was last week. <laughs> and the tabernacle at the door. Remember we talked about the fact that even if they wanted to shed the blood of an animal to provide food for their family, they had to make it into a fellowship or a peace offering. So they would have to bring it in and give the first fruits of it as unto the Lord so that every time they ate, every time their family was provided for, they would give thanks to God. And that's what we do now, right? We pray over our meal. We give thanks to God for His provision. And the reason they did that is they needed to understand the sanctity of the blood because it would eventually point to the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is both the high priest and He is the sacrifice. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing else, okay? So we come tonight after looking at the work of the atonement on the cross and we're going to see that once our sins have been paid for and we've been justified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we must now walk in holiness. Now, we don't live holy lives to please God so we can be saved. We live holy lives because Jesus Christ paid the price, His blood has been shed, we've been made new creations in Christ, and now we're walking in the Spirit. We don't live holy so God will love us, we live holy because God has loved us, He's paid the price for us, and He's transformed us. By our fruit they shall know us, the Bible says. And so the, the holy living is not something we try to attain so we can be good enough 
Because if that were the case, he would not have had to die on the cross. Too many people out there today say, well, you've got to get good enough, and you've got to get rid of your sin. And you gotta... It's like saying, you know what, bro, you've got to clean up before you can get in the shower. The reality is that we are all dirty in desperate need of a shower. And Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross is the one that cleanses us. So we've been justified and saved by grace, and now we're being sanctified. And that word means to be set apart. So in tonight's text, we're going to see the Lord exhort His people through His servant Moses to be conformed, not to be conformed to the practices of the world. I titled the message tonight, Be Not Conformed to This World. Because Jesus is going to talk about, this is how the world lives, but you're not to live that way. And that's a message that applies to every one of us in the room. And he's talking specifically tonight, again, I told you it's a heavy subject, he talks specifically tonight about sexual immorality. That's what the text is about. And he talks about, here's how the world's living, but here's how you are to live as my children. And we're going to see that it, it really directly applies to each one of us. So we're going to see that we're not to be conformed to the world. He's going to talk about the prohibition against uh, incest, which is having a relationship with someone in your own family. He's going to talk about the prohibition against the, the, the deviant behavior of the Canaanites. And then he's going to talk about the consequences of sin. So let's begin in verse 1, where he says, Do not, where he talks to us about not being conformed to the world. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. The Lord, in delivering His words to the children of Israel, begins by reminding them once again who it is that's in charge. He reminds them who the authority is. He reminds them that He is sovereign and almighty God. I'll tell you what, this is a great reminder. We ought to remind ourselves every morning who's in control. Amen? We ought to remind ourselves every single day who's sovereign and whose authority we're under. Who is it we seek to please? Who is it we seek to follow? Because we can get our eyes on the world and we can see what the world's following and we can get right in line with the world if we forget that it's the Lord that we're seeking to please and to honor. Who is it that created them, delivered them, dwelt with them, loved them, and knows them best and knows what's best for them and would one day die for them? He says, I am the Lord. I'm the one that delivered you out of bondage in Egypt. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who dwells with you now in the tabernacle. I'm the one that you're following. And he's preparing them because they're getting ready to go and live with the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were godless people. Kind of like Santa Cruz. And you know what? He said, you know what? I'm sending you to go live in Santa Cruz. And there are going to be some godless people there. But you know what? I'm still the one you seek to follow. Don't look at the people of Santa Cruz. Don't look at the people in Canaan and say, oh, that's the example I am to follow. The Lord's going to tell them very quickly, I am the Lord your God. And I love what he says there, I am the Lord your God. The word Lord there is Jehovah, and the word there for God is Elohim. And so Jehovah is singular, Elohim is plural. How is that possible? One God, three persons. Amen? God in three persons, blessed Trinity, Jehovah. I am the Lord your God. He's letting them know where the authority is and a great reminder for us that God's instructions to us come through His Word and the leading by His Spirit, given to us by the One who created you, who delivered you, who died for you, who loves you more than you will ever know and wants what's best for you. Some people think the Bible is this book of rules that's a total drag and just totally makes it so you can't do anything fun. Man, the Bible's a drag, man. It all says you can't, can't. I'm not reading that page because I can't do that anymore, right? Oh, I read it now. I can't do that anymore. But here's the reality. The Bible says that sin is fun for a season, but in the end, is sin profitable? Absolutely not. 
Sin is a, is a lie. It's something that says it'll please you, but in the end, it destroys you. And the Lord loves you so much, this is the owner's manual for humanity. Amen? You know, you get a new car, you get the owner's manual out, you see how to run the car, you see where to put the different fluids and stuff so you don't burn your engine up, things like that. And so you, you open it up, and this is, what, this is the answer right here. And so it's not that God's this, this party pooper in the sky who wants to destroy us and not us have any fun. He loves you so much. Think of the instruction manual you would give your kids if you were leaving on vacation. And he wanted to make sure your kids didn't get hurt. You'd go through the whole house. Don't turn on the oven. Don't do this. Don't do... Why? Because you love your children. Don't play with the razor blades. Don't, you know. And, and it wouldn't be like, oh man, dad said I can't play with razor blades. What a bummer dad. That would be so fun. Right? And they go play with them and they're all diced up and cut up. And man, that wasn't so fun after all. And so this is the same thing that God gives us his book because he loves us. He knows what's best for us. He's reminding them, hey guys, you're going to go live with the Canaanites. They're a disaster. They're a godless people. They're idol worshipers. Remember that I am the Lord your God. I created you. I delivered you. I love you. I know what's best for you. It's right here. It's going to be the word I deliver to you. Don't, don't follow them. Follow me. That's a word for us tonight. While we know this practically, sometimes we want to rebel. I'm not probably the only one that ever rebels, right? How many of you guys fall into rebellion like daily? Amen? The Lord tells you, don't, oh, but, yeah, but, I, and you start to think you know better than your parents or better than your boss or, or better than the Lord. And we don't want to submit to the authority God's placed over us because we're pretty sharp. I'm pretty sharp. I got some good grades in school. I'm a pretty sharp guy. And, you know, and so we start trying to do things our own way and we find out it doesn't work out too well. You can think you know better, but God's just telling you, look, just trust me. I've sent you a love letter. It's not the opinions of men. It's not the passions of the world. Follow me. Verse 3. According to the doings of the, of, the, of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you shall not do. According to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. Now, they had lived in Egypt for 400 years. And it's been said many times that they could, he could get Israel out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of Israel. Remember what happened as soon as, again, when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and he was up there for 40 days, and it was just a little too long for the people to wait, what did they do? They made a golden calf. What did they worship? What was one of the idols they worshipped in Egypt? A golden calf. And they said, you know what? We're out of Egypt, but we're going to bring Egypt with us. You know, I'm a new creation in Christ, and I've been delivered from my sin, but I still want to hang on to my old life. I still want to hang on to my old way of doing things. And the Lord's saying to him, look, I don't want you to do the things that you saw in Egypt, and I'm going to bring you into Canaan, and I don't want you to follow them either. Now, Egypt, from the world's perspective, was a pretty happening place. This was the most wealthy nation on the planet, Egypt. They were the most technically advanced, and from the world's perspective, they had it all going on. But Egypt was a bunch of spiritually bankrupt idol worshipers. So from God's perspective, the place was a disaster. From the world's perspective, wow. Kind of like Silicon Valley probably, right? I mean, here you got these people, oh, there's so much money there, oh, you know. And people were so tied up in the stock market and so tied up in chasing the buck that at the same time, this is the least church part of the entire United States. The Bay Area, less than 2% of the people go to church on Sunday of any kind. That means 49 out of 50 people don't go to church anywhere. So they're chasing the buck, and from the world's perspective, it looks really prosperous. That's Egypt. 
really prosperous from the world's perspective, really technically advanced, but spiritually bankrupt. And the Lord says, I don't want you to follow them. I don't want you to do things according to the way Egypt did them. We also know that Egypt was big time into polygamy and incest. We're going to see the Lord talk about that in the word he delivered in just a moment. Then Canaan. Now Canaan is what land? It's a land of what? Land of promise. I'm on my way to Canaan land, right? You ever sang that song before? I'm on my way. Land, land of promise, right? Well, guess what's waiting in the land of Canaan? Bunch of messed up guys. People. And the Lord's saying, look, when you get to Canaan, don't be like the Canaanites. Don't walk like an Egyptian and don't be like the Canaanites, right? He's saying, look, I, I'm, a, I'm your Lord. I'm your God. You follow me. Don't follow the world. And it's the same message for us today. And he's saying, look, you're going to get there, and this place is going to be a disaster. Now, Canaan was a descendant of a, a man by the name of Ham. Who was Ham's dad? Not Porky Pig. Who was Ham's dad? Noah. And remember what happened with Ham? Noah, after the flood, was drunk. He, was a, he planted his own vineyard, and he got drunk. And he was laying in his tent, and he was uncovered. And Ham saw him, and Ham pointed out his nakedness and mocked his father. And then Shem and Japheth went and backwards and covered up their dad. And from that point forward, it says when Noah awoke, he knew what his son had done, and he cast his son out. And from that point on, Ham was a cursed man. And the descendants of Ham today are who? Who? Middle East people that are enemies of Israel, all in the Middle East, descendants of Ham. Now, the Lord still loves those people, and people can be delivered from that. But the people as a whole, enemies of Israel and godless, right? Well, that's who the Canaanites are. They're descendants of Ham, and they're idol worshipers, and they're into all kinds of perversion, as we're going to see here in just a minute. And the Lord is bringing them into that land, and He's telling them, look, you're going to be in this place where everybody around you, they're worshiping idols, and they're into all kinds of perversion, but you need to remember that I am the Lord your God, and you keep your eyes on me. Don't be like the world. Keep your eyes on me. Great message for us tonight. Amen? Don't look at the world. Don't fall into the trap of the world. Don't be politically correct and think, oh, well, that's the way we do it. Now, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Let me just talk a couple things from my heart with you. One, the way we dress. The Bible says, be in the world, but not of the world. And have you ever noticed how the trends go? We're back in the 70s somehow. I don't know how that happened. But we're back wearing bell bottoms and puka shells. Have you noticed that? Well, this is what, when I was in like junior high, everybody was wearing bell bottoms and puka shells. And now everybody's wearing bell bottoms and puka shells again, right? I guess they all come back. I hope we don't get into disco again. That'd be a disaster. But here's the thing. What I see, even in our Christian teenagers, disturbs me. Nobody should be seeing your stomach but your husband. Amen? Oh, that was weak. Amen? I mean, here's the reality. I see girls walking around like, hey. Why? Because, well, that's the way the world dresses. And they got these pants that hang down like right here. And I'm like, you know, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We don't dress like the world. We shouldn't be acting like the world. We shouldn't try to fit in with the world. We need to be different. And I notice when I look, I think, you know what? Did that person get up this morning and say, I'm dressing for Jesus? Am I dressing for the Lord today? Am I dressing to honor Him? Or am I dressing to attract the eyes of all the guys at school? Just remember, girls, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. Right? You want a fleshly guy? Use your flesh. You'll get one. If you want, to be, you want a godly man, you'll be a godly woman. 
you love the Lord, and God will bring you a godly man. So the way we dress, the way we're entertained, guys, are we, are we, if you go to a movie that you wouldn't take Jesus to, you need to stop. Amen? What does the world say? Well, that's, the, that's what all the movies, that's what the world's watching, so that's what we go watch. The Canaanites are doing it, so let's go do it. The Lord says, look, I am the Lord your God. You honor me. If they're cursing your Savior in the movie and you're taking God's money to pay to get into it, something's wrong. Well, Pastor Dave, that's not going to leave very many movies. That's right. You know what? Let me tell you something. I love going to the movies. I just don't get to go to very many because there aren't very many that I can watch. I go to screenit.com and they start, if they're cursing my Savior, I'm not giving them God's money to watch them curse my Savior. If, my, if, I, if someone standing next to me cursed him, I would correct them. I'm certainly not going to pay money to go listen to somebody do it. So we're not to be entertained by the world and walk in the ways of the world. They say, come out and be separate. Don't be entertained by the world. It's interesting. Sometimes people will say, well, the movie is really good. It just had one scene that was kind of bad. There was just a little bit of arsenic in my Thanksgiving meal. But other than that, it was pretty good. You know, it's interesting that Michael Eisner said, head of Disney, when he was being boycotted by some Christians about 10 years ago. He said, I'm not worried about it, because I learned a long time ago, Christians care way more about their entertainment than they do their God. Oh, made me mad. Haven't been to Disneyland since. Yeah, I used to go twice a year. I said, oh, that's it, you're done. He's, and I, the sad part is, that there's some grain of truth in there. I learned a long time ago, Christians care way more about their entertainment than they do their God. They care more about being comfortable and being entertained and having a good laugh than they do about walking with the God that they say that they serve. Man, that was a gauntlet to me. Oh, really? Okay, that's it. Where's the Disney video? Out of here. But here's the reality, guys. How do we entertain ourselves? Like the world does? How do we dress? Like the world does? What do we seek after? The same things in the world. He's saying, look, you're going into Canaan. They're godless people, and you can be just like them, or you can make a stand for me. Remember, I am the Lord your God. You follow me. You don't follow the world. The world loves itself. As Christians, we're to love God and love others. Do we, are we more burdened to minister to others than we are for our own personal comfort? Are we more burdened about our lost friend's salvation than being popular with them? What are our passions? Are they the same passions the world has? Money and success and looking good. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with exercising. There's nothing wrong with having fun and being entertained, but not being entertained by the things of the world that get our eyes off of the Lord. And he's saying, look, I am the Lord your God. Don't be like Egypt and don't be like Canaan. And he would tell us today, don't be like Santa Cruz and don't be like the world. Amen? We're in the world, but not of the world. We love the world. We love the people of the world. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. And, and the world has a physical and temporal focus, and as Christians, we need to have a heavenly one. Look at verse 4. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Is he trying to make a point? I am the Lord your God. I'm either Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. I am the Lord your God. I am the one you serve. I am the one you follow. You're going to be in Canaan. But don't have your eyes on the Canaanites. Don't walk like an Egyptian. Serve me. Walk according to the word of God, not the passions of the world. God is faithful. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. Verse 5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. When the Lord says something once, pay attention. If he says it three times, is he driving it home? He's saying, I am the Lord. 
not the world, not the pursuit of stuff, not the physical pleasures of life, fall in love with me. Can I tell you something? The greatest, is, the greatest things in my life have never had anything to do with worldly stuff, ever. Now, I loved to play sports when I was in high school and even for a little while in college. I still enjoy it now. But my greatest joys don't come you know, from catching a pass. My greatest joys come from seeing God do great things in the lives of people. Amen? So my greatest times are worshiping. So my greatest joys are seeing my, baptizing my children or seeing some of you grow in your faith or listening to some of you teach the word. Or, you know, those are the greatest joys in the world because that stuff's going to outlast this life. The other stuff's temporary. Nothing wrong, again, with having fun. God doesn't want us, no, oh, I'm a Christian, can't have fun. That's not it. We should be the happiest people around because we know we're going. Amen? I'm heaven bound, as DC Talk would say, and I know where I'm going, and it doesn't matter what's happening in this life because I know what's ahead of me. Praise God for that. But he's saying, I am the Lord. Walk in my ordinances. And if you do, it says in verse 5, he shall live by them. And if you look in the, in the real meaning of the text, is those who walk in obedience will have great joy. I am the Lord. You that live by them, who walk in obedience, will be blessed and have great joy in your life. Have you ever been bummed out walking in obedience to the Lord? When do you get in trouble? When you walk in what? Disobedience. When you go do your own thing and say, forget it, God, I'm doing it my way. And then you get out there, oh, this was wrong. Bad, bad, man. oh, bad mistake. Right? Then we're grieved. But when we're walking in obedience to the Lord, isn't there a peace that's there? Amen? Isn't there a peace in walking in the center of God's will? You can go out and attain all the stuff the world has to offer and have no joy, or you can walk in the center of God's will and be at peace out in the desert because the Lord is with you. May He never leave us nor forsake us. I am the Lord, the Lord of all or not Lord at all. Don't rebel against me. I know what's best for you, what will keep you from harm. Ignore God's word and you'll reap destruction. Now we're going to move on and we're going to see a prohibition against incest. Now why would he talk about this? And I'm going to read through this because he, he breaks it down and he gets real specific. And why would he do that? Because it's rampant in, in the Canaanites and the Egyptians. It's running amok among the people. And the reason he has to point it out is he's telling his guys, look, let me make this real clear to you. Because when you get to Canaan, you're going to see this all around you. And let me just tell you right now, it's not okay. You can't, you're not to do this. And what happens is, in this land of political correctness, we make the mistake of thinking, well, people are living that way, and they're all around us, and God doesn't seem to be smoking them from heaven or anything, and so, well, I guess it must be okay. And as we go through the text, I want to point some of that out. So let's look at verse 6. None of you shall approach anyone who is near kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. That's a euphemism for physical intimacy. You shall not have physical intimacy to any, with anybody you're related to. Verse 7. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Not to have intimacy with your parents. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. This is your stepmother. You're not to have a relationship with your stepmother. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. You're not to have a physical relationship with your sister. Again, most of this is not a difficulty for anybody in this room, but he's pointing this out to make it very clear to them that this is going to be going on all around you, but that doesn't mean it's okay. Because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's okay. 
Narrow is the road that leads to salvation, and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Verse 10. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own. These are your grandchildren. Now, the sad part about this is sisters, sons, daughters, grandchildren. And you think, man, this is horrendous stuff, and I don't need to hear, I mean, this is not a struggle for me. Is there a struggle with this going on in the world today? Yeah. I just read in the paper today that a 68-year-old man was just, so maybe you saw it in the Sentinel, was just convicted in life in prison. He had five women in his basement that were in cages. And he'd had one of them there since 1988. 15 years. One of them was a 16-year-old girl. And they were talking at the sentencing today, and the 16-year-old girl was saying how that she was raped every single day by this handyman. Now, what kind of world are we living in? Depravity. Unbelievable. The judge said, sir, I've been on the bench 30 years, and there's never been a more evil, vile, or wicked man than you, and if it were my choice, I'd flip the switch on you tomorrow and put you to death. But since I can't, I hope you rot to death in the cell I'm going to put you in. Whoa. We need to pray for that guy's salvation, but here's the reality. What kind of world are we living in? We look at this stuff and you think, oh, well, that doesn't work, but that's the world. The world we live in is deprived and perverse and wicked above all things. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father. She is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Your half-sister, you cannot have a relationship with her. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near kin to your father. This would be your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is kin to your mother, your aunt also. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Okay, now... You're not to have a relationship with your uncle, but even the person that your uncle was married to that you don't have the same bloodline with, the two of them became one flesh, and even if he dies, you're not to have a relationship with her. Why? Because the two of them became one flesh, they are now one, they're a part of your family, you don't have a relationship with them. You know, I see bizarre stuff, you know, parents having relationships with their stepkids and stuff, that's, that's ungodly. Let me just tell you right now, that's not from the Lord, all right? And you keep reading on here, and he's just making it really clear. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your, bro- your sister-in-law. Not to have a relationship with your sister-in-law. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you have your son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. So you can't have a rela- uh, you know, be married to someone and then marry their grandchild. I think it's pretty clear. Again, not, not something I'm struggling with, but why is he pointing this out? Because this is going on in Canaan. These guys are going to go walking into Canaan, and there's debauchery everywhere, and he's saying, look, you're going to see this all around you. It's not okay. Because we see people living the lifestyles that they live does not mean that it's okay. Verse 18. Nor shall take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Polygamy was big time in Canaan. And often they would take two sisters as wives. And he's saying, you're not to do that. Polygamy is outside of God's will. One man for one woman for a lifetime. Amen? That's God's highest. That's God's will. That's God's plan. And he's saying, polygamy, not of me. You're not to take two sisters. Who took two sisters and had some problems? Who remembers? Jacob? How'd that work out? Struggles. Right? Lee and Rachel, they were barren, they were fighting with each other the whole time. Why? Because 
supposed to have one wife, not two. And struggles because of it. God's Tyus, one man, one woman for a life. He spelled out the wickedness of such relationships because they were prevalent among the Egyptians and the Canaanites, and he did not want his people to fall into them. He told them to stay away from the relationships they would see going on around them. You might say, and I hope you are, now, Pastor Dave, incest, incest is disgusting. It's not an issue for me. How about the relationships you see going on in the world around you that you can be desensitized to? Well, waiting until you're married to sleep with somebody is old-fashioned and stupid. I mean, you test drive a car, don't you? You ever heard that before? I hear it all the time. I'm like, well, don't you? I mean, I'm, I'm going to find one. What? One man, one woman for a life, that's impossible. You know, you need to sow your wild oats before you get married so you can settle down later. Right? Man had determined by the number of women that you've been with. You know, it's not old-fashioned, it's not impossible, it's not boring, it's just plain godly to be one man for one woman for a lifetime. Amen? But we look at the world around us. Do, do most people wait until their wedding day? What's the answer? Is it usual or is it a rarity that that happens today it's sad but it's a rarity isn't it and the world we live in you're, you're oh you got to be kidding me and you know what you turn on the tv and everybody's sleeping with everybody and you watch movies and everybody's sleeping with everybody and then you read books and everybody's sleeping with, and and our kids are being trained and the music that they listen to and you know it's baby baby this and that when they're 12 years old and all the stuff they listen to it's all this pursuit of relationships when they're not ready to have them and the lord's saying really clearly look don't Look at the world as the example. Hey, as a dad, I want to encourage you dads with girls and with boys, okay? You're going to have struggles with your kids when they want to be like the world. But dad, everybody, I don't care. You know what? I don't care what everybody else is doing. What does the Lord say? Amen? Courtship to marriage. You're not getting married when you're 14, so you're dating nobody. That's the deal. That's the programs. Yeah, well, but my friend, I don't care. My other, my other friend's dad's a pastor. Well, great for him. That's not what we're doing. We're following this right here. God's word. My daughter's way too precious to fall into the trap of what's going on with the Canaanites. My boys are way too precious to me. Not going to have it. And you know what? I'm willing, I told my daughter, I'm willing to have you hate me for the next four years if that's what it takes. Because I love you. And I want God's highest for you. And I want to walk you down that aisle on your wedding day. And I want to take your hand out of my hand. And I want to put it in that young man's hand who I pray for every single day since the day of her birth. And I pray for that young man. And I want to put her hand in your hand and say, you know what? I've had headship over her till now. And she's ready to be your bride. And I'm looking forward to that day. But you know what? There's going to be pressure. The Canaanites are all around us. The world's got a whole different program. It's hard to take it, but everybody else in school is going to that movie. Dad, I can't. No, you're not going to that. Why not? They take God's name in vain three times in that movie. You're not going to that. But it, I don't care. little arsenic in the Thanksgiving dinner is a little arsenic too much. Amen? And it's hard sometimes to make that stand, but that's what the Lord's saying here. Look, don't be like the Canaanites. I am the Lord your God. Follow me. Seek after me, not after the world. Be godly. You know, I want to say this too. I do a lot of marriage counseling. I'll have wives come in and they'll have husbands that are a disaster. Their husbands are treating them like garbage. And I'll say to the, to the wife, I'll start to figure out after a while, your husband's pretty abusive, isn't he? Yeah. You know, and basically he, he just uses you, doesn't he? Yeah, pretty much. 
And I'll ask them, when did you tell him it was okay for him to use you? And they get all the time, what do you mean? When did I tell him it was okay for him to use you? I never told him. Let me ask you a question. Did you sleep with him before you guys were married? Oh. Well, yeah. So you married a guy who would not respect what the Word of God says, that he's to wait and respect you until that day that you're married, and then you're surprised when he doesn't obey the things that aren't in the Bible, like, you know, washing the dishes and serving and loving and honoring his wife. You set the tone for your marriage the day you start courting. Amen? If you're not married and you're here, I want to encourage you. See God first. You don't have to close the deal. You don't have to strive. You don't have to do anything. Just trust the Lord. God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife. He did not hand him a bow and arrow and say, go hunt her down. Saddle rack's over there. There's four other bars in town. Go find yourself a wife. Go! Come on, man, go. Here's some beers. Go help find yourself a wife. That's not what happened. He waited, and God brought him Eve. He said, oh, this is good. Her name means soft. Woman, soft. Oh, she's soft. He's like, oh, this is good, right? Now, when God brings you the woman, it's going to be awesome. But what happens is we try to do things because of the way the world does it. Well, everybody else is going to the prom. Everybody else is going over here. Well, my other friends go out and party. Well, they're Christians. They go drinking. What's the big deal? Well, my Christian friend, well, they go to Vegas and gamble. What's the problem? You know, I'm just doing what everybody else does. Who's the example? The world or the Savior? Amen? Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. He did it all for us. May we honor him above all else. You know what else is happening? It says here, look at verse 19. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. We're going to see some things that are going on with the Canaanites, and we're going to watch just this get more and more vile as we go through the next five verses. Okay? Now, the first one is, when a woman is having that time of the month, he's saying, stay away from her. Just leave her alone. Dude, control yourself for five or six days, okay? Back it up. And that's what he's saying here. Look, the Canaanites don't care. They're all driven by the flesh, and they don't care. Say, no, look, guys, being controlled. Don't have lust out of control. Now look at the next verse, verse 20. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. So we go from, from impurity, laying with a woman in impurity, to adultery. And we're going to see this get more and more vile. You shall not commit adultery. You will defile her and you will defile yourself. Now let me say this. Having counseled a lot of people in the last 18 years, sexual sin and all sin starts with compromise. You don't go from a happy, loving marriage and serving God to cheating on your wife or cheating on your husband the next day. It doesn't just happen that way. It starts out with compromise. It starts out with, guys, maybe you start, you know, you get the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition because, well, it's not pornography. Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah, yeah, it is. All right? Anything that causes you to lust in your heart, pornography. Okay? You start looking, and then, or maybe your wife gets a Victoria what, Secret catalog, and, it's, and then before you know it, you're, you know, you're watching some movies with some stuff that's not really appropriate, and, and well then, you know, you're on the internet one day, and some pop-up screen comes up, and nobody's around, and you click on that, and then before you know it, you're, you're starting to not be satisfied with your wife because you see these women that aren't even real, and you start lusting in your heart and then before you know it you start being dissatisfied with your wife it's causing tension with her and then you know and, and man, my wife she's just not she doesn't quite understand me and she's just not there for me when i need and then you go to work and satan knows you're on the internet by the way when you're when you're on the internet looking at pornography does satan know that you're doing it 
Yeah. He can't read your mind because he can't be on the present, but he, can't, he does know. And so what do you think is going to happen when you go to work after you've been on the Internet or you're going to go down the street? Some, you know, the, girl, the lady at work is going to come up and start telling you how wonderful you are. And you're, you're battling with your wife at home and you're struggling. And what happened was that little compromise, it may take a month or six months or a year. And before you know it, you're so far away from the Lord and you've, that women start to be objects to you. And this other woman is more appealing to you because she's so kind. And then before you know it, look what's happened. Adultery. Again, I am the Lord your God. Don't be like the Canaanites. Don't go watching any movie that's going to have something in it that causes you lust in your heart, guys. Women, don't go to movies where it's going to cause you to, you know, look at another man in a different way. Don't go to things that are going to cause you to get your eyes off of the one that God has given you, the one that's perfect for you. But the enemy's right there, and he wants to draw you away from the Lord. And the sad part is that it moves to a greater and greater and greater perversion the more that you look at it. I know this is heavy-duty stuff tonight, but here's the result. Unchecked, what will happen? Destruction. Broken marriages. Broken families, broken fellowship with God, broken ministry, disqualified. Every year there are pastors all over the country that fall into sexual sin. Every year. Why? Because pastors are men, and men blow it if they don't keep their eyes on Jesus, and if they start compromising their faith. You know what? I seek accountability from everybody I can get it from. I want to be accountable to everyone. Why? Because I don't ever want, take heed lest ye fall. You think you're above reproach anybody in this room? You're not. Oh, I would never do that. Well, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you won't. You start getting caught up in the world, you can, just like everybody else. How many of you ever heard of Ted Bundy before? Remember him? When I was a youth pastor in San Jose, we used to show a video that was, t- that was taped the day before he died. And Ted Bundy was a mass murderer. And Ted Bundy said that every single guy on death row, every single one of them, there was like 14 guys, in his, in his area, was addicted to pornography. And every single one of them began to devalue women. And he said what happened in his own life is it had to be harder core and harder core and harder core. Then before you knew it, he had to go out and rape somebody. And then before you knew it, that wasn't good enough. And he started killing people. Now, this guy gave his life to the Lord in prison before he went, But he was saying, guys, be careful. Look, and I promise you, even though there's not that many guys in here, I promise some of you, at least on occasion, are struggling with it. God will help you if you'll ask him. Amen? I am the Lord your God. Seek after Him. Put a filter on your internet service. Amen? Put glory works on there. It won't come. It won't happen. Praise the Lord. It's a Christian organization. Just do it. Make the decision when you're walking with the Lord, not when you're struggling. And so every man, again, struggling with it. Verse 21. And you shall not lend it. So we go from from, from, uh, adultery. Now watch this. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. Now, Molech was a god of the Canaanites, and they were little idols that they had all over Canaan. Five feet tall, made out of cast iron, a cast iron body with a, with a, a hollow stomach. They would fill the, the stomach with fire, and it was the god of prosperity and the god of also sexual indulgence. And so what they would do is that they would have a special time where they would come together in, the, in this valley. It was called the, uh, I wrote it down here somewhere, the Valley of Tophet, which means drumming. And they would begin to beat these drums. And the women would come and they would set the fire and this cast iron god would be, become incandescent. 
and it would burn from head to toe and just be burning, scalding, fiery hot. And the women would line up and they would bring their newborn babies and they would walk them and they would set them in the hands of Molech to the drums and watch their newborn children fry to death to offer them as a sacrifice to the God of prosperity. That's the God of Molech that they're getting ready to go see in Canaan. Now, that's brutal. And we might say, how in the world could anybody do something like that? Now, the Molech worshipers taught that that baby's not really a baby because it was set aside to be offered. And since it was set aside to be offered, it's not really a child. And when you give it up, it will just take the spirit of that child and add it to the one of your next one, and you'll have a more full child next time around. What does that sound like? That baby's not a baby. It's abortion. At the God of prosperity and sexual indulgence. Why do some people have abortions today? For the very same reason in our culture today. Well, I I can't have a baby right now because, well, I I can't afford it. Um, You know, it would cramp my lifestyle. I wouldn't be able to travel as much. I couldn't pursue my career. And, And by the way, my husband and I, we need both of our incomes to be able to pay our bills. So, you know, I'm just going to take the baby and put it on Molech, the God of prosperity, and watch it sizzle because it's inconvenient for me right now. When babies are aborted, they are burned to death in a saline solution inside the mother's womb. It's no different than Moloch. We look at Moloch and say, how could anybody do that? We're doing it today. Also, there were those who just took the baby because it was an inconvenience. They used it as a form of birth control. Oh, I didn't want to have a baby. Oh, just give it to the God Moloch, the God of prosperity. They burned their babies because it was inconvenient. Planned Parenthood today. You can't afford to have a baby right now. Just abort this one. It'll be better next time. Planned Parenthood. What a joke. Planned baby killing is what they ought to be called. Because that's what they're proponents of. Amen? They're not about, they don't get it. These are children given by God. Amen? You know what? You don't want them? Give them to me. I'll take every kid you don't want. Just bring them to my house. I'll take them all. Right now. I'm not kidding. Don't ever make that mistake. Now, I want to say this too, though, to be balanced. If you're here tonight, and sometime in your past, before you knew the Lord, or even after you came to know the Lord, you had an abortion, I want to encourage you with something. Our God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? If you've asked Him to forgive you, He has. And He loves you. And that baby is in heaven with the Lord and you'll see Him one day. Amen? So I want to encourage you from the point of grace that God loves you. And don't you know, be condemned because of it. It was a mistake. It was wrong. We've asked God to forgive you. He's forgiven you. But going forward, may it never be said of us. Amen? Because of inconvenience, because of the God of prosperity, in Canaan, you're going to get there. Don't be like them. 1.5 million babies per year aborted in the United States. Brutal. Way, we've aborted way more children than were ever killed in the Holocaust. Way more. People say, well, you know, we need a cure, cure for cancer. Maybe you aborted the baby that was going to cure cancer. Right? We're slaughtering children, but that's the world we live in today. You've, heard, you've probably seen the bumper sticker. It says, be a hero, save a whale, save a baby, go to jail. Ever heard of that? And it's true in the world today, whales have more importance than babies. But the Bible said it would be that way in the end times. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. We're living in Canaan. We're living in a place that is extremely ungodly. Look at verse 22. So you go from, you go from adultery, then you go to this abortion, where it says, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord, I am the Lord giving sacrifices to false gods. Then look what it says in verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. What's that talking about? 
homosexuality. Is homosexuality a sin? Absolutely. Does the Lord love homosexual people? Yes. Should we love them? Yes. Should we pray for them? Yes. Should we share our faith with them? Absolutely. Should we condone their lifestyle? Never. It's sin, and it's an abomination. The word there for abomination, the direct, one of the direct translation is, it's disgusting. That's what it says. You look it up in the original language, and it says disgusting is one of the answers to it. It's aberrant, and it's disgusting. It grieves and breaks the heart of God. But people today say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. I was looking through the channels the other day, and they had a homosexual church on there, and they're saying, yeah, we just have all that freedom in Christ. We don't have freedom to sin in Christ. Amen? We all have freedom, because he paid the price. So, no, 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 no. We have freedom to repent and to walk in holiness before God, but not the freedom to walk in sin. Now, what does the Lord think? I just want to make this clear, and I'm not picking on it, but I think we need to deal with it, because we live in a very heavily homosexual city, okay? And the Lord loves them, and I love them, and I pray for them, and if they come here, I'm welcome them, and I want to share with them the love of God, and Jesus Christ loves them just as much as He loves me, amen? And I'm not, but in the world today, if you say homosexuality is sin, you're this, this short of a hate crime, right? Isn't that true? You know, oh, you can't say that. Well, what does the Bible say about it? We saw that verse right there. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? God destroyed it with fire. Why? Homosexuality. I'm going to read this to you. Romans 1, verses 24 through 28. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Just remember that. Served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do these things which are not fitting. Is there any doubt what God thinks about homosexuality? And it's interesting, have you ever noticed how the homosexual movement is pro like Greenpeace and Earth? And again, if you're pro Greenpeace, that's fine. But what I'm saying, have you ever noticed that though? And the Bible says in the end, people worship the creation over the creator. And what does it say right there in that verse? They turn themselves over to the creature rather than the creator. They're worshiping Mother Earth, and they got all this stuff they're doing, and that's what's happening. He says they've turned themselves over to a debased mind where they don't even hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit being with them. They have no, they've seared over their conscience to be living that lifestyle. Again, love them, pray for them, but it's sin and it's wrong. Amen? It's wrong. And you know in Santa Cruz, man, that's just not popular to say. Perversions being more and more accepted every day. 30 years ago, homosexuality was an unaccepted behavior. Unaccepted. Now it's celebrated. They just had a couple cases where sodomy was turned over and then now they're marrying people in Canada. They're doing homosexual marriages in Canada. And on the front page of the San Jose Mercury there's a guy holding a sign that said, Celebrate Sodomy. Oh. Where did that name come from? Sodom and Gomorrah. How'd that work out? Not too good. And here we are, you know, celebrate. We're celebrating sin. We're just being, walking in the face of God. I don't care anymore. And, you know, we need to say, no, that's wrong, and that's sin. And we need to make a stand for the truth. All who speak against it, again, are considered big. It's not just an alternate lifestyle, okay? 
I can't help it, I was born this way. Ever heard that? We're all born with sinful impulses. Amen? So, well, I was born this way. I, I talked to a guy on death row in Lancaster, and you know what he told me? The only way that I can have, uh, be aroused is with children, so... So now, according to the homosexual bent, then he should just go out and sleep with all the children he wants. What about the mass murderer who says, well, I've got this bent toward chopping people's heads off. Well, you should celebrate that and just be who God made you. <laughs> it's foolishness, isn't it? But that's what they say, well, this is who I am. I need to celebrate it and just be what God made me. No, it's sin. It's apart from God. There needs to be repentance and restoration. God has something much higher for you. And you know what? I hate the word gay because gay means happy, and I've yet to meet a happy homosexual. I've never met one. I talk to him about the Lord all the time, and they're ah, like that. But you know what? You, why? You, how can you be happy living in that lifestyle? It's a disaster. You can't. You can't be, no kids, happy pervert. That's what it is. It's perversion. Amen? How can you be happy living that gross, vile lifestyle? You can't. Gay, that's not, no. It's not gay. It's homosexuality. It's, they're sodomites. They're perverted in their lifestyle. Do we love them? Yes. Do we pray for them? Yes. Do we accept their behavior? Absolutely not. When this goes on the radio, we're going to have pickets out front. Now, the homosexual community can only grow one way. How does the homosexual community grow? They don't reproduce. You figured that out? They can't, okay? So how do they grow? They recruit. Who do they recruit? Our children. They recruit our children. You go to high school campuses and they got gay and lesbian groups on campus. Hard to get a Christian club, but you can have a gay and lesbian. They got queer youth here in Santa Cruz. You ever heard of that? Big, huge thing, the queer youth, right? They have Gay Pride Week. They have the Great Gay and Straight Alliance. They make it acceptable and they're recruiting our kids. You know what? As soon as the Lord allows, we will have Calvary Chapel Christian School, I promise you. You know why? Because I have a burden to put our kids in an environment where they're taught the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, amen? Where they're taught about the love of God, and they're taught about the truth, and they're not getting all this garbage poured on them. And if we have to have kids go for free, we'll do it, because that's a passion I've had since the day we got here. And Lord, in your timing, let's do that. But I, it grieves me that kids are being taught a lie all day long, that it's okay. No, it's not okay. You're in Canaan. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Amen? We're almost done. Verse 23. Look what's next. So, no, no fornication. And he's talking about, after that, he, he talks about abortion after um, adultery. And then after that, he talks about homosexuality. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. You know what? That's next. Now, what do we got left? It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And we see this downward slide, and, and it's not by chance that the Lord has homosexuality right next to bestiality because they're both vile in His eyes. And again, I, I wonder, I, my heart was, as I was praying about this message, Lord, let me deliver it in love. Let people know that I love them because I do. I pray for those people. I have a burden for them. But God says it grieves His heart. Lastly, verse seven, last seven verses, verse 24. What are the consequences of these lifestyles? Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, when, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. What does the Lord think about these kind of lifestyles of bestiality and adultery and homosexuality and, and, and abortion? What does He think? Makes Him sick. 
says he vomits them out of the land. Man, that's heavy duty. The defilement of the land. You know what's interesting? We talked about Sodom and Gomorrah already. But do you know that the Greek, Roman, and Canaanite cultures all fell? You know, there's a book when I was in high school I had to read. How many of you have ever heard of the book called The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire by Will Durant? Anybody ever heard of that book? You know what it says was the cause of the fall of the Roman Empire? What does it say? Homosexuality. What was rampant in the Greek culture? Homosexuality. What was rampant in the Canaanites? Homosexuality and debauchery. So what happened? God brought them all down. Is it any wonder that we're still standing in the United States? Billy Graham once said, if God doesn't nuke San Francisco, he owns Sodom and Gomorrah, an apology. (laughs) Now, I used to take my youth group up to San Francisco, and we went into AIDS hospices, and we went in and ministered to those people that were days away from death, and we showed them the love of Jesus Christ, because Jesus loves those people. Amen? But he does not love their lifestyle, and he does not love their sin, just like he doesn't love my sin. He doesn't love your sin. We hate this sin, and we love the sinner. Amen? That's what the Lord desires that we do. But we need to make a stand for the things that are not of God. This country continues to celebrate perversion and it will collapse. Do you know the Northridge earthquake? I was living down there. Massive earthquake. Do you know that the epicenter of the earthquake within five miles of that epicenter was where over 80% of all the United States' pornography was produced? Do you think that was a chance? That just happened by chance? Or do you think God was sending a message? You know what? What about AIDS? What about sexually transmitted diseases? What about these kinds of things? If you grow up and wait till you're married and stay with your husband or your wife for all of your life and you stay pure to them, how many sexually transmitted diseases are, are you going to... Is there any chance of that? Very little, right? Almost zero. The AIDS epidemic, you want to stop it? One man, one woman for a lifetime. Guess what? They'll go away. But we don't want to. We want to remain immoral. And then we wonder why. That's judge judgment upon immorality. Verse 26, we're almost done. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. As God's people, we are to walk in obedience, not the, the, the perversions of the prevailing culture. Not look around and say, I'm being culturally relevant. Hear that in the church today. We're being culturally relevant. We're, we're going to be biblically accurate at Calvary Chapel. We're going to teach God's Word. That's what we're going to do. We're going to love people supernaturally, and we're going to teach God's Word. And we're not going to try to catch on to the latest fad. Pastor Dave's not going to show up in a halter top to do Sunday morning service. I'm not going to be wearing no hip huggers. Thank you, Jesus, right? Okay? But I'm not going to try to be culturally relevant. I'm going to try to be biblically accurate. God's Word. Christ be glorified in this place. Amen? Not just trying to please the world. Verse 27, For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. He uses the word vomit a bunch of times here. I think the Lord's trying to make a point. Right? You guys live like this. It's going to make me sick. It grieves the heart of God when people who call themselves Christians are caught up in the things of the world. Lord, help us. Without Him, we can do what? But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? You're struggling with sin, He'll help you. I am the Lord, your God. He says, Lord. You serve Him, you follow Him, He loves you. He'll guide you, direct you, He'll help you if you're struggling with any of this stuff. Verse 29. Whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit it shall be cut off from among their people. Again, cut off. Loss of fellowship, broken families, broken marriages, sin has consequences. 
Sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS, things like that. Verse 30. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. For the seventh or eighth time in this chapter. He wants us to know it's Him who we serve. He is the standard, not the world. It's being standing right before God, not being popular with men. We don't vote. You, some of you might wonder, well, how can we don't vote about stuff at Calvary Chapel? Because it's not in the Bible. This is the authority. It's not Pastor Dave. It's not the elder. This is it right here. Amen? And if we ever do anything contrary to the word, please come uh, confront me immediately. But this is it. We don't have a bunch of bylaws. and This is the bylaws right here. It's God's word. It's Jesus Christ who's the head of this church. Pastor means servant. I'm here to serve you guys. But we're not going to vote on things because you know what happens when you start voting? You've got people, right? We've got 45 people that are coming here drunk as a skunk and vote we ought to have keggers at church, right? We don't do that. We're not going to succumb to what the world wants to do. We're going to honor the Lord above all else. Amen? Seek first His kingdom. So in review, let me just say, as Christian followers of Christ, we're to walk and to live in obedience to His Word led by His Spirit. We're to flee from youthful lust. We're not to be persuaded by popular culture. Jesus loves you. He knows what's best for you. Give your life to Him completely and you'll never regret it. Amen? Give it to Him. He knows better what to do with it than you do. And if you've blown it, ask Him to forgive you and He will. You can take a million steps away from God. It truly is one step back, and he's waiting there with his arms open saying, I love you, it's okay, I forgive you, I want to restore you, I still want to use you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, again, that even though this is a, a, heavy, a heavy chapter, Lord, we know that you put it in your word for a reason. And Lord, I pray that it would exhort us to be people who follow after you, not trying to be popular with men, not trying to to do the thing that's going to cause us to, to get the laugh at work or to draw the, the praise of others. But Father God, may we honor you even when nobody else around us is. May we love you and serve you. And Father, we do lift up Santa Cruz County to you, Lord, and we pray for revival here. And we know, Lord, that you love every single person in this county. And Father, I pray that we would be a church that supernaturally loves everyone but never condones the sin of anyone. And Father, we just ask, Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, you do mighty things. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that's struggling in any of the areas we talked about tonight, that, Father, by your Spirit, you would just draw them into a place of repentance and restoration. Lord, that they'd be accountable to others. So, Father, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you that you are our Lord, as you told us over and over in the chapter. We thank you that we serve a risen and a living Savior. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.